Amen and welcome again. Ooh, I'm not Pastor Craig. <laughs> Pastor Craig is away. <laughs> uh, Pastor Craig is away. He is preaching homecoming at his home church back in Spartanburg. Um, so I am uh, preaching this morning. I get to welcome you again and thank you for being here. We, if you would, please turn to Acts chapter 11 with me. Uh, it is one of uh, these passages of scripture that has become one of my favorites. We'll be reading verses 19 through 30. Uh, Acts chapter 11, we're going to read verses 19 through 30. The title of our sermon this morning is Christian. It's just one word. We really like agonized over what the title should be, um, but it has a special meaning and purpose as we'll read in just a second. So I'm going to invite you, if you are able, to stand with me for the reading of God's word, and then we'll do that and pray and, and uh, see where God leads. Verse 19 says, Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many of people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people, and in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to, their, to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it by the elders, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Let us pray. Father, we're grateful. Uh, for your word. I pray, God, that uh, we would have eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand, God, what it means to be a Christian and those who represent that name, how powerful it is to live out that truth. And God, for those who need you, I pray, God, you would draw them to yourself today in Jesus' name. Amen. Christian, are you representing that name? If you are a Christian, are you representing that name? If you're not a Christian, you don't have to worry about representing that name. All right? But if you are, are you? Our title is Christian because as we just read, um, it's the first place in the Bible where disciples were actually called Christian. Why now in this account? This is one of those things that you get to wrestle with when you read stuff and it's the first time something happens. Why here? Why now? Why in this account is the name that we still bear today, the one of those who are called to follow Jesus, why is it here that they are first called Christian. What they didn't know at that time was that that name was going to stick because originally the word Christian wasn't something that they shared with one another. It was one that, that people outside the church kind of called them. It was, it was not necessarily derogatory, but it wasn't obviously it wasn't necessarily good to be called a Christian. So why here? 
And why did God keep that name for himself? When you read in the Bible that when you read through Acts, you read that the people that followed Jesus were called followers of Christ. They were called disciples. They were called the way. But this is the name that stuck. This is the one that God chose for us to be identified with forever. Why here? And are you representing that name? If you are, number one, it means that you represent the name because you proclaim the gospel. You represent the name. Why? Because people need to hear about Jesus. When? Every time you get the opportunity. Where? Everywhere that you go. Into who? All of them. Verse 19 says, proclaim the gospel when it's hard. Because if you can proclaim the gospel when it's hard and where it's hard, then it's going to be easy no matter what, no matter where, no matter when, ever else that you have the opportunity. If it's hard for you to proclaim the gospel at work, once you're able to do that at work, it's easy everywhere else. If it's hard for you to you know, proclaim the gospel to the people in your family, then once you're able to do that, it gets easier everywhere else. We're not called to proclaim the gospel when it's easy. We're called to go and proclaim the gospel everywhere. And that's what we read these men do, or these that came from Judea uh, to Antioch did first. They were first called Christian there because they proclaimed the gospel. So those in Antioch came, and think about who these giants of faith were. Think about it. We read their names. Everybody just looked down at their Bible. No, we didn't read their names. Because those that came proclaiming the gospel in Antioch were just regular people. It doesn't say Peter, James, John. It doesn't say Thaddeus or any of the other disciples. It says just they. Regular folk came, and it was there that they were first called Christian. This is powerful. You don't have to be an apostle to tell people about Jesus. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be seminary educated. You don't have to read all the books. You just have to tell people what Jesus has done. Just regular people. And what they said had to have been profound, right? They had to have read Case for Christ and Tactics and all the latest books. They had like clean life way out. No, what did they have? They didn't have this. They didn't have this. It says they came to Antioch and proclaimed the gospel, and all this stuff started taking place. They didn't have this. What did they have? They had the message about Jesus, that he came, and that he lived, and that he died for us because we are sinners in need of a Savior. And they had their story, and that's all it took. You want to know how you can tell people about Jesus? Tell them what Jesus did, and then tell them what he did for you. I can't guarantee you that that's the one that breaks, you know, the heart of the person that you love or the one that you're trying to reach. But you don't have a better story. Somebody else's story isn't going to work. The Bible says over and over again, Peter tells his story. Everybody in Jerusalem gets a new idea about who they're supposed to go to. That's what we talked about in Life Group. You know, you see Paul tells his story. The Damascus Road wrecked Paul. The resurrection messed him up. He never got over it. All he did was tell him what Jesus did and told him what it did for him. Just tell them the story. There's two. The story about Jesus and yours. That's the story you tell. And when you consider this account here in Acts chapter 11, here's what we know that they didn't know. They became part of our story. We are Christian because they were first given that name. That's where their name was born, and that's what we're still called, because life change 
came from believing and turning. That's what the verse says. It says, and those who came, they proclaimed, and the hand of the Lord was with them. A great number believed, and they turned in verse 21. People changed because somebody loved Jesus enough to tell them what Jesus had done. And somebody loves somebody else enough to say, hey, I realize that there's some stuff about your life that you can't make sense of, that there's some broken stuff in you. I got it. I've been there. I've been broke. Here's Jesus' story, and this is what happened when I heard it. They came and they proclaimed the gospel. Who do you tell? You tell everybody, regardless. There's no special group that needs to hear the gospel. And because I am glad that I didn't have to qualify by man's standards for me to hear it. They didn't go up to Antioch and say, all right, everybody who makes $50,000 or more, raise your hand. You get to hear about Jesus. These were regular people, went and told, regular people. They didn't have to qualify to be told. They went and told whoever would listen. They came to Antioch and told everyone, regardless of race, color, or creed. When we first begin reading, we see that these different people groups went to certain people groups. They hadn't got it all together yet. They were still struggling to figure out who was supposed to hear the gospel. Jewish people thought only Jewish people were supposed to get it. Peter's jumping up and down for three chapters that we just went through saying, no, everybody gets to hear it. It took a sheep coming down from heaven for me to get it. And I'm trying to tell you guys that this is how it's supposed to be. Everybody gets to hear it. And there are still those who are struggling with this and they're wrestling with it because they don't have all that we have in 2,000 years of scholarship. We have all that and we still struggle. You tell everyone who will listen, when you proclaim the gospel, when it's heard, things start happening. A noise is made. Life change makes noise. If you've hung around Malvern Hill, we've been blessed by God to be a part of a noisy place here for a little while, and it has been fun. Life change makes noise. They came to Antioch and told everyone, and it literally tickles the ears of those in Jerusalem. That Greek word, tickle the ears, is where we get our Greek word for acoustics. And that's cool because it made such a sound that the thing that the gospel was doing when people, just regular people, came and proclaimed the gospel, the thing that happened was it made noise, enough noise that the mother church back in Jerusalem heard about it and said, okay, just like what happened with Philip and Samaria, we're going to send somebody to check up and see what's happening. We need to make sure that everybody's hearing, that there's not just these clicky things happening, that where people are choosing who gets to hear about Jesus and who don't. No, we got to make sure all is going right. We're going to send somebody. We're going to make sure that they're proclaiming the gospel to all, and that's where the affirmation comes from. It says, the hand of the Lord was at work. It tickled the ears of Jerusalem. And number two, they maxed out their potential because they proclaimed the gospel. The next part says that they maxed out, is our number two, is they maxed out their potential because Jerusalem already had potential. Jerusalem had the ability to send somebody and say, hey, how are y'all doing? What's going on? Is everything okay? How can we help? Max out your potential. The noise in Antioch caught their attention. And see, Jerusalem and all the pillars, James, you know, who didn't even, like, believe who Jesus was, even though he grew up with Jesus, you know, they were still working all this Christian stuff out. And they said, okay, we need to know what they know, because things are happening, and we're hearing about it. That report came, and they said, who are we going to send? I know. Let's send the son of encouragement. That's what Barnabas means. Let's send the guy that's going to spur them on their way. If anybody can believe in what's going on up there, it's going to be Barnabas. Let's send him. You know what? 
Barnabas was ready to grow because Jerusalem was already maximizing their potential because anytime anything went down, they were like, go see what's happening. Go see, come back and tell us. This is like the second or third time that a revival has broke out somewhere and the church in Jerusalem has sent and said, okay, go find out what's going on. Here's what we can say for certain. The Jerusalem church had a plan and God knew who they needed. And he had a plan for the Antioch church. And the man they needed was Barnabas because God had prepared him. Maximizing your potential happens in God's preparation. It happens in your experiences. It happens in what happens to you in life. Which experiences did Barnabas need in order to become the man that was sent to Antioch? All of them. Don't think for a second that the thing that you're going through, the thing that you're trying to learn from right now, that God's not going to use that to help somebody else. God does not waste your trials or your difficulties. James says that we should consider them all joy because God's working in us because if he were to pull a curtain back on our future and show us what we could potentially get to, it would scare us, but if he just takes us along one at a time, one experience at a time, so that when we come to that place and to that person, then we're ready. He's maxing out our potential in our experiences. God is in control. Barnabas didn't wake up one day and become the man ready to go down to Antioch and become the part of the story where the disciples were first called Christians. He was a part of a process. This guy... This Barnabas was someone who walked close to the Lord. He was humble. He was a giver. We meet him back in chapter 4 where we read that his real name is Joseph. His real name was Joseph. He was a Levite. He was a native of Cyprus. That means for all those people, all those people groups that we read about right there at the start in verse 19, all those, he could relate to them. It didn't say he was a Jew from Jerusalem. It said that he was a Levite. That means he was actually Jewish, but he was from Cyprus. He was from somewhere else. says back there that he sold a field belonging to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. He was a giver. Now when we get to chapter 11 and we read from verses 22 to 26, you read that Barnabas, who named me son of encouragement, is someone who is willing to go. He was sensitive to the grace of the Lord because it says he saw it. It said he came and he saw the grace working in the lives of these people. He was not begrudging to the good things that were happening to others because he celebrates them what God is doing. He says that he was glad. A lot of times we find out what's happening in somebody else's life and we begrudge the good thing because of the bad thing we're going through. Remember, God's getting you ready to be somewhere. It says he encouraged them. He pointed their spear. He exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast, steadfast purpose because he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith. That's not words that the New Testament just writers just throw around. Full of the Holy Spirit and faith only said one other time, and it's when they talk about deacons. Barnabas knew his limitations because of all we just said. He was humble enough to know when his potential was maxed out. Barnabas didn't go to Antioch, right, as the representative of the Jerusalem church to say, I know it all, I'm here to tell you about it. He went down to Antioch, and it says who he was. He exhorted. He was glad. He celebrated with them. He encouraged them to remain faithful and steadfast, per, steadfast purpose. And then, I'm trying not to run all the way to the end. And then he said, I can't help you anymore. You need somebody else. 
He didn't stick around and try to become somebody God hadn't made him to be. He did all that he could. He maximized his potential. He lived up to his name. He was the son of encouragement. And he said, you need somebody else. God does not waste the things that happen to you in your life, the good and the bad, the easy and the hard. What needed to happen, happened. But Barnabas left and was humble enough to go so that the church could take the next step. He said, y'all need somebody more than me. Barnabas left and was going. When Barnabas did, he could have just checked that box and went back to Jerusalem. He could have looked at that congregation and said, I know what you need and I'm not him, but I don't know where you're going to get it, but I got to get back. But when we look again, it says he left so that they could take the next step. He used his gifts. He realized his limitations. He maxed out his potential. He was a part of the solution. And the solution wasn't him. And that's hard for us sometimes. Sometimes the hardest thing for us to do is say, I don't know and I need help. One of the things that I, we emphasize greatly in our youth group, right, with our teenagers is you only ever fight alone when you choose to. One of the things that I can celebrate about Malvern Hill is that there are 20 names that I can ever call and say, I need you, help me fight, and they would be there. Here's our promise. You only ever fight alone and go through the things that you go through alone when you choose to. Be a part of the solution. Max out your potential. Number three, prepare to partner with other churches. The name Christians means you're not a single institution unconnected and unassociated with other churches. You are a part of a long line of salvation history where God has called believers into saving faith, and they have become Christian, and they're all over the place, and they're everywhere, and you're a part of a big group. It's not just a Malvern Hill thing. Prepare and partner. You will not be able to help other churches or help other Christians unless you're intentional about proclaiming the gospel, maximizing in your potential, and preparing to help. I looked at our teenagers before, and I said, you know when you're going to get really good at math class? And they go, ugh. I say, when math isn't about you. If you get really good at math so that you can help the person next to you, you'll blow it out of the water. Because you'll do way more in the service of another person than you will ever do for yourself. You'll only do what you need to for you, but you'll do anything for somebody else. If you ever start looking at math that way to change your life, now go, ugh. (laughs) You have to be intentional about your preparation. Wasted potential comes from being unintentional about it. Let me tell you what I know because I've been there. Other churches don't need a new book from Lifeway or a new class or a church health. They need you. They need other Christians to come up next to them and say, we're praying for y'all at Malvern Hill. We love you. What's going on? Can we celebrate it with you? What's going on? Can we pray about it with you? We're not supposed to do this thing alone. And as noisy as God's made things around here, we have the opportunity to help other churches only if. We're intentional about it. What does that mean to you? It happens with just regular people. You know who they don't like to listen to? Me. I say, hey, we got some awesome things going on. Well, of course you say that. You're the pastor. But if some of you walk into their, you know, into lunch with them or take them out to lunch or meet them for coffee and say, hey, this is what happened. I didn't know Jesus. I didn't have a family. But I met somebody who invited me to church. I found Jesus, and now I have a family. 
That's your story. And that's how you help others. Well, how did you get this family? Well, we do this thing called life groups. <laughs> you know, what does it mean? Well, it means you never fight alone. How do you grow? Well, life groups teach us to grow together. You are the ones that make the greatest impact. Prepare your heart and be ready to give. Why do you think it was so easy for those in Antioch to give back to Jerusalem? When you read the end of that passage, it says that they heard about a famine from a prophet named Agabus. And they said, each one of us is going to figure out how we're going to give. We're going to determine according to our own ability. Why do you think it was so easy for them to send money back to Jerusalem? Because Jerusalem had already sent to them. If you are waiting on an invitation for somebody to love them well, whether it's another church, another Christian, or something like that, you don't need an invitation. Just go do it. And here's the cool thing that might happen. When you need help, they'll be there for you. You have to prepare your heart and prepare your finances and prepare yourself spiritually in order to help. If you don't read the Bible, then you're not going to be able to help anybody. You have to be prepared. You never have anything to give financially or spiritually if, without an intentional effort to preparation. Do you mean you have to give thousands or read the Bible, you know, a whole Bible in six weeks? No. What does the Bible say? Each one determined according to their ability. Whatever ability is yours is yours. Craig Thompson can read a book in like an hour and a half. He says bookmarks for quitters, and he drives me insane because I can't sit still an hour and a half. I told the people on the cameras today, I said, y'all going to get carpal tunnel because y'all had to chase me all over the stage today because I can't sit still like that because that's not my gift. What's my gift? I get to go places. I get to, you know, paid to not sit still, and it's awesome. I get to go to schools and not sit still. I get to talk to kids who don't sit still so we get along. It's great. <laughs> Determine according to your ability what God has done in your life Maximize your potential in the service to somebody else. He's already working to make you somebody else's prayer, answered prayer. Right? God's already doing that. When they were in Antioch, they were like, what's next? I don't know what's going to happen. You know, Barnabas was already ready to go when he showed up as an answer to their prayer. The name Christian means you prepare and partner because that's what the Grace Commission says. It says, raise them up and go. One of the implicit things that is born in these verses that you're not going to learn about for a few weeks is this. This church in Antioch is born right here. They're first called Christians because regular folk just showed up and said, this is what Jesus did because I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and this is what happened in my life when I accepted him. Regular folk did that. And then Barnabas shows up and says, this is all I got to give you. I'm going to go get somebody else to help you. His name is Saul. We're going to get to him in a minute. And he's all that I got to give. I maximize my potential that I'm going to get somebody else to help you grow even more. And then we see that at the very end of these verses, it says, okay, there was a famine. We're going to give back to the people that sent to us. We're going to help because we were once helped. One of the implicit things that is born in these verses is that this church in Antioch becomes the home base for Saul or Paul's missionary journeys that begins in Acts chapter 13. It only took five years. 
three to seven. I'm going with five, right? Depending on which scholar you read, it only took three to seven years for this church to be born and become the home base for the missions for the greatest missionary who ever lived. Guy wrote one-third of the New Testament. His doctor wrote another third. So Paul or Saul is responsible for two-thirds of the New Testament, and he's a part of this story because he's the one that shows up because they need a teacher. So lastly this morning, grace has to empower you. If you're empowered by grace, your name is Christian. You max out, you give, you proclaim, you sin because you learned it all because of what Jesus did for you. You say, Pastor Adam, this is what I was really trying not to run to the conclusion this morning. If y'all listened to me do announcements earlier, I said, man, we're going to be done by 1130 because I'm so excited about the conclusion that I'm going to talk really fast. I just wanted to get here because grace has to be your power. Anything else is not spiritual change. It's not something that Jesus did inside of you to make something come out of you. We're just talking about behavior change then, like you quit eating bread this week or something. But when grace is your power, everything gets different. Verse 19 says that those who are scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. Now, I need you guys to stay with me because this is awesome. Those who were scattered that came to Antioch came because Stephen got killed. Then in verse 26, it says, In Antioch, disciples were first called Christian. Grace is a merited favor. You get what you don't deserve. You are saved by grace through faith, and it is a gift of God. It says in verse 23 that Barnabas showed up and saw the grace of God working, and he encouraged them. And then it says that he leaves and he comes back in verse 26 with a guy named Saul. And for a whole year, they met at the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christian. We started off this message this morning, and I ask you what's so important about this place, that this is the one that God chose to say, okay, this is where it's going to happen first. In Antioch, they're first going to be called Christians, and that's the name that everybody's going to get forever. The name Little Christ, or follower of Jesus. That's what Christian means. This is where it's going to start. And this is the account I'm going to preserve in my word that's never going to change, and it's going to last forever. It's going to be the best-selling book of all time. It's going to be the you know, most studied book of all time. And everybody's going to wonder, why here? God preserved and empowered and gave them this story where they would first bear the name that we are still called today. Let me set this scene. Barnabas shows up in Antioch. He says, you guys are doing awesome. I am so proud of you. Keep going. I'll be back. Where are you going? You need a teacher. Who are you going to get to teach us? Saul. He leaves. He shows up in Tarsus to find Saul. Saul, I need you to come help us teach. Where? Antioch. Come on, let's go. All right, let's go to Antioch. Saul comes to Antioch. Saul walks into town. He says, hey, I'm Saul. I met Jesus on the Damascus Road, and he changed my life. Barnabas came and found me and said that you needed a teacher, and I don't know it all. I'm working some things out. I've been writing a little bit, but I'd love to hang around and learn with you. Saul looked at them and said, how'd you get here? 
They say, we're here because of you. What I mean? Because if you turn back with me to Acts chapter 7, right at the very end of Acts chapter 7. This is Stephen's account. The stoning of Stephen is going to be the headline in whatever paragraph you're looking at. And it says in verse 59, And they were stoning Stephen, and he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And very next verse, and Saul approved of his execution. Saul walks into Antioch and says, hey, how'd y'all get here? And they go, we're here because of you. What do you mean you're here because of me? Because of what happened to Stephen. Can you imagine the heartbreak? Whether Saul figured it out before he got to Antioch, or whether he figured out when he got to Antioch, the Bible doesn't say. What we know is that the Bible reveals to us that those people who were there were there because of Stephen. Who is Stephen? The guy that Saul said, kill him. A chapter later, we read about Saul meeting Jesus on the Damascus Road. Jesus changed Saul's life, took the greatest you know, persecutor of Christians and made him the greatest proclaimer. He showed, Barnabas shows up in Antioch with Saul. And those people had to look at him and said, it's okay, man. We've heard what happened on the Damascus Road with you. And we know that Jesus can save anybody because he saved you. Um, we know that he can save anybody. Will you teach us? Before, I'll cry just saying this. Before Saul, who became Paul, we're going to learn about his name, changed in a couple, you know, a couple months. Um, depending on, you know, before he became Paul, before he ever wrote the first letter, maybe, before he laid out his great theological understanding of what God has done for us in Jesus in Romans, before he wrote the letter to the Ephesus that says, you are saved by grace through faith, he walked into Antioch and learned what it meant from a bunch of people who are just regular folk. It had been real easy for them to look at Saul and said, not you. Anybody else will take any other teacher but you. But those guys or girls and all those people in Antioch said, we are humble enough to know that we needed Jesus. We are humble enough to also know that you need Jesus. We're also willing to learn. Will you teach us? Saul says, yeah, but, no buts. If Jesus forgave you, you forgave me, we're good. What you got? You see, they had to look at Saul and said, we know what happened. But we also know that you don't learn grace in the things that you get right. You learn grace from the things that you do wrong. You learn grace in your mistakes. And who better to teach about grace, to write one-third of the New Testament and expound this definition? Who better to teach them than the guy that killed Stephen, met Jesus, and had to struggle through all the things where people said, there's no way God can change you. The humility shown here must be our priority. Christian means you're humble. Either party could have excused themselves from this account. Saul could have said, that's too much, I'm out. 
Those people in Antioch who were just born brand new believers trying to wrestle through what it means to follow Jesus, they could have said, no, not that guy. Either party could have said, no, I'm out. When will grace become a power for you when you realize all that Jesus did for you? You want to know who can never hurt you? Nobody, when you realize what Jesus did for you. I have kids come up to me all the time say, Pastor Adam, I struggle forgiving this person. How do you forgive, you know, that kind of thing or this person? I say, because I know what I did to Jesus. And it's real easy because I know for me, I have never, nobody's ever done anything to me like I did to him. And they all go, because then they realize, what they realize? They realize I have to forgive them. It's not a question of if or can. You must. Grace becomes a power for you when you realize that Jesus, what Jesus did for you, what you've been forgiven of, then proclaiming, then maximizing your potential, then preparing to help. All of that gets real easy because you're like, none of this is me anyway. What do I have that I have not received? And if I've received it, why am I boasting about it? Here, you can have it. I don't need it. If God wants me to have another one, I'll get another one. You need help? I'm on the way. You need money? I got some because I was getting ready to write a check for something else, but now I'm ready to write a check for you. When grace is your power, everything else is get, you get easy. Everything else gets easy. When Saul walked into Antioch, man, a lot of stuff could have happened. A lot of stuff could have went down. But I bet the tears that they shed together was incredible. See, that's the things that we don't get in the Bible, right? We don't get that. Like, how many times did the disciples go home at night and just cry because of what Jesus did that day? How did they explain the things that Jesus did that day? Hey, what happened to you today? Well, that guy over there touched a leper. What happened to him after that? He was made well. No. See, we read all of this resurrection backwards. They, and when we make fun of the disciples, this is like a side note. When we make fun of the disciples, they were living it not knowing what was going to happen. This account happens before we have the Bible, before we really understand what grace is, before you know all the study and theology and all the explanations and definitions of books. Saul learns what grace is because somebody showed him. So how are you to respond to this this morning? How does this apply to you? This is what we do in, uh, with our teenagers. I'm going to give you four ways that this applies to you. Number one, you've got to tell people about Jesus. How hard is it? It only takes like nine words. <laughs> it's going to be a little bit more this morning. I tell them nine because um, they can't count. Um, but you say, Jesus saved me because I need a Savior. And that's going to prompt a response. Why? Did you need saving? Because I don't do right things. And I'm a sinner for it. And I've offended a holy God. That's Jesus' story. That's what happened to me. Well, then what happened to you? Well, then I started going to this church. And that place is nuts. Right? And it is making noise. And it wants to help. And if you come there, you will never fight alone. If you're sitting here today or you're watching online, that's your story too. Or it can be. 
See, some of you walked in here this morning not knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior and hearing me talk about him has made you just a little bit uncomfortable. You know what that is? That is eternity ringing in your heart knowing that you need Jesus. Why? Because of grace, we are saved through faith. And we know that because somebody learned it and told us all about it. And God preserved it so that you could hear it today. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the mouth one confesses unto righteousness, and with the heart one believes and is saved. That's the promise of Romans 10, 9 and 10. But here's the next one. You think, oh, that sounded really good. I can't get all that out. Here's the promise of 10, 13. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You can't want it, not get it. If you open your mind and your heart this morning to know that you need Jesus because you're a sinner in need of a Savior and you've heard this story and realize exactly what grace means, all you got to do is want it. But for the thousands that live around us that aren't here today, they're going to have to hear it from you. We might have 20 people watching online today. So everybody else has got to hear from you. Proclaim the gospel. Max out your potential. You don't have to do it all. You just have to do all God's got you ready to do. What's he got me ready to do? You and only you know. And it's been eating at you, and you hadn't talked to nobody about it, and you're wondering, what should I do next, or what's my next step? Your next step, you already know, because God's got you ready for it, and it's time to take it. Maximize your potential. Prepare and partner. You're going to have to read the Bible a little bit. You're going to have to pray a little bit. You're going to have to get better at your faith in order to be ready to share it with other people who need to hear it. But you're also going to have to get ready with your finances, and you're going to have to get ready with your time. If the devil can't make you bad, he will make you busy. Some of you need to cut some stuff out of your schedule. In order to maximize your potential, in order to be prepared, you need to get rid of some things. And I say this, and from my glass house, I am telling you I messed up as far as the schedule goes. Some of us need to just get rid of some stuff so we have, you know, God can't open a door because you got everything piled up against it. Prepare to be a partner and let grace empower you. Learn grace in your mistakes. And do... And realize you're not going to learn them on what you did. Oh, gosh. Realize that you're not going to learn what grace is by thinking you got it all together. But by realizing you got it all messed up. Here's the thing. 80% of the people in here I know. I love the 20% that I don't. It's so cool to see you. But 80% of the people that I know well enough in here, we will all be ready to admit to you that we got it messed up. And we ain't got it together. And then we're trying. And if we would love to fight with you. Grace must be your power. Show grace like Jesus. What if Jesus forgave people like we do? What do I mean by that? This one's going to hurt a little bit. See, grace can't be your power because you know you got some stuff piled up against the door. Right? That means you got some relationships and some things that has happened to you in your life that you ain't got over yet. And you need to get rid of them. What does that mean? That means you're going to have to be the one that shows grace to somebody else. Jesus forgave you. You're 
Not Saul in this account, maybe. Maybe you're the people in Antioch. When Saul walked up, you said, it's all right, man. I forgive you. You can't forgive like we do. Here, how do we forgive? What if Jesus forgave us like we forgive other people? What do I mean by that? We forgive people and we don't tell them. Like, you know, I'm over that or whatever, and I ain't even going to talk about it. What if, if Jesus forgave you and didn't tell you, you wouldn't be holding this? Here's the other thing you do. You say, I forgive them, but I'm not going to be around them. What if Jesus forgave you and then said, I don't want any part of your life, though? You walk alone. See, what Jesus did for us is not only our example, but it's what empowers us. Why? Because that's what grace is. Grace is your fuel. That thing stirring inside of you right now where you feel like Adam has beat you to death, that's not me. That's the definition of grace. And you're to take that and give it to somebody else. So you can get some stuff away from that door so that door can open, so some hearts can be mended, so you can tell them about Jesus, tell them what's going on here, ask them what's going on at their church. This morning, this invitation is for two. For those, who represent, and for those that know Jesus, are you representing him? And for those that don't know Jesus today, today is your day. Because grace can save you. And that's all that can save you. And anybody that tells you different is not being true to what the Bible says. I'm going to pray in just a second. Our musicians are going to come. I'm going to stand down there. If you don't know Jesus today, I would love to introduce you to Jesus. I would love to pray with you about Jesus. I would love to pass you to somebody who can answer any question you might have. But don't leave here wrestling with that thing or whether or not you need him and you don't know whether or not you need him. I'll help you. You do. It doesn't matter if you represent that name yet or not. You do. Let me pray. Father, we are thankful for your love. Your grace is good. It is an empowering force. It has moved and changed the universe. Because it is by grace that we are saved through faith. It is for all who call upon the name of the Lord. We are all whosoever who have once believed. Those of us who represent your name. But for those who don't, I pray you will work in their mind and heart right now. Draw them to yourself. Save them today. In Christ Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let's stand.